Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. And speaking of the worship event, I do hope that you'll take a moment, pull out your smart device, and look down in the lower right corner, hit more, go up to events, and there you'll find today's worship event, along with all the sermon notes and all of that. You know, it's really a cool thing. Um, years ago, uh, Greg Rochelle's church, Life Church, um, designed and built version. And uh, this week they celebrated um, half a beat, half of a billion downloads since then. Isn't that incredible? Half a billion. Yeah, come on, clap. Come on. Come on. That's a big deal. Now, I'll tell you why. i tell you what. They could have sold that for 99 cents on the app store and made half a billion dollars. But from day one, everything that church does, they give away. They don't charge a dollar, whether it's a sermon graphic or whether it's Sunday school material or youth material or even music that they write. They give it all away. And I'll tell you this right now. Um, if you were to ask me, uh, Brother Dwayne, what is the one thing that I could get, that I could do to help me in my Christian walk, walk what would you suggest? And my answer would be download and use the Version Bible app. That is an incredibly powerful tool for you to grow. You're wanting more discipleship? It'll do it. You want to develop a quiet time? It will do it. You want to be able to share the gospel? It'll do that too. All right? So it's just a powerful, powerful tool. If you've got an uh, iPhone, you just go to the App Store, look up on um, Bible app, and it'll show up. Make sure you get the Version one, and then same thing with the Android. It's just an incredibly powerful tool. I really encourage you um, to use it. And then there's this song, So Will I. I have difficulty singing that song because it just overwhelms me. It just overwhelms me. Every line pops up, and it's, it's oh my, it's wonderful. David said it took the guy, I think, you know, years to write this thing um, because he just researched and let it speak into his heart and his life, and I'm so glad he did. It's just a wonderfully, wonderfully song of worship about our great God. All right, well, I hope you're glad to be here, and we are in, I think, week three of our Taking Care of Business. His biz should be our biz. And I really appreciate the fact, by the way, I understand the last couple of Sundays, well, there were challenging messages. And many of you, many of them, have you come and said, Dwayne, thank you so much for preaching the word uh, authentically and real. Thank for the truth. Yes, they were hard, but we appreciate it very much. So hopefully today will be just a little bit easier to digest, all right? But it's called our Better Business Bureau. Now, now you've heard of the BBB, and, and the BBB exists um, to build trust in the marketplace uh, arena, but also um, it exists to help businesses do business better and also protects you. I was surprised to learn this morning. I went to their website just because I was mentioning them. Went to their website and like there's a section for veterans and go in there and how to protect veterans from scams and all that different stuff. So I really appreciated what they stand for and what they do. And, and our Better Business Bureau is not them. Our Better Business Bureau is the Acts 2 Church. The Acts 2 Church. We learn so much. We can learn so much from how to do church right in Acts chapter 2. I was coming home from church last night. I was up here doing some work um, and something just popped into my mind. I think that's, that's very right and very true. You know, and it says this, you know, if you want to see the church at its best, you see the church at its birth. If you want to see 
the church at its best, you see the church at its birth. The, you know, the finest hour of the church, as far as unity and all of that, was right after it was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You know, it's funny, um, I was asked last week by a sweet lady, and I mean that, um, love her to death, and she said, Brother Dwayne, is there dissension in our church? And I kind of smiled. And actually, I kind of chuckled, too. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, there is. There is. Excuse me. I just have my cough. <coughs> okay, now. <laughs> brings out the best in me. <laughs> Where did that come from? But anyway, I said, and I said, actually, there's been dissension for 21 years. And then somebody said later on, and said, no, no, no. You got to stop there. You got to go back. You know, we could go back to May 1910 when the church here was born. And yeah, there's dissension on that day. In fact, in fact, you got to go all the way back really to, to Acts chapter 3 um, to find a time when there wasn't really dissension um, in the church. It's, it's, matter of fact, it's almost amazing. You know, you know here's, here's Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk about all that the church did right on that day. And then you just go forward three chapters. Three chapters, okay? And there's some folks who decided to lie to the Holy Spirit and God killed them. That'll make your Sunday unusual, okay? <laughs> That'll make your Sunday unusual. Yeah, and then, and then in Acts chapter 6, okay, just a few chapters from Acts chapter 2, just, just months, maybe a year after that, you know, we had the big dissension in the church, uh, the early church, because, you know, the widows would be, weren't being taken care of. The Greeks were saying, oh, yeah, you take care of them Jewish widows, but you don't take care of the Jewish, you know, the Jewish widow. Yeah, you do that, okay? And so there's a fuss and a fight um, about that. It's amazing. Dissension it has been a part of the church. It's just, well, we're just so warty. We've just got warts on us, and we're not perfect, and so it's always been that way. And, and, you know, one of the better churches in the New Testament was the Philippian church. It was a really, really good church. Uh, the book of Philippians is just a great book, and it talks about all the good things the Philippian church did. But right there in Philippians, in chapter 4, and verse number 2, yeah, Paul, Paul has to write it. Now, here we are 2,000 years later talking about this, and the reason we're talking about it is because there are two ladies in the church. Aren't you glad they weren't men, guys? Aren't you glad they weren't men? Yeah, but there are two ladies who could not get along. We know their names. It's Iodia and Syntyche, and they couldn't get along. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul basically had to say, Hey, cut it out, will ya? Can't you at least get along? It makes me as a pastor feel better. You know, that Paul, the great apostle Paul, had to write and say, Now, yo, guys, come on. Cut that thing out. You know, it's just amazing. So, so there's been dissension in the church. We're imperfect. And, of course, there's going to be dissension in the church. But here's the thing. How can we learn to limit that, okay, and learn to work together for the betterment of the gospel? Well, let's throw the prophet slide up. Not profit like in the future, but the profiting point, okay? This is something we mentioned last week, I think, and the week before. It says this. Unless your faith shows a continual profit, you are destined to go out of business spiritually, um, a real threat in this spiritual economy. So in order for us to survive and to, to thrive, then we've got to show a profit Spiritually, Because when, when everything's flat and when we're not showing a profit, we have a tendency to kind of give up on God, give up on church, and take a hike. And a lot of people um, have done that, okay? But here's the deal. Today, because we're talking about the church, today we could say, unless your church, unless your church shows a continual profit, we too are destined to go out of business. A real threat in this spiritual economy. Now, for some, for some, that means like out of business. Like our D-O-M, 
our director of missions, is living, living, living in a church building that's no longer being used for church because they closed. It wasn't too long ago that a property that June and I looked at even over on Liberty Street, I think it was Shepherd's Chapel or something like that, was on the market because it went out of business and now somebody's living in it as a home. And there are other churches in town that have set empty for various lengths of time because the church went out of business. But here's something I want you to know. A church can go out of business without going out of business. You know, there's a lot of small churches and bigger churches, okay, that sometimes they still have services and stuff, but they're out of the king's business. Oh, they meet, and they, they have eat together, and they pray, and they have a song, and they have a sermon, but their purpose has been lost. So it's really important then that we show a continual profit because we individually as believers and we as a church do not want to go out of business. We want to make sure that we remain uh, totally profitable. Well, this week when I was studying for the message, I ran across a guy named Mark Dever. 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 Now, David helped me with this. He knows this guy. Well, he knows of this guy. I hadn't heard of him. But, but he's a real conservative, loves the church kind of guy. In fact, what he does is he, he speaks and promotes you know, the idea of the local church and the church at large. Okay, So here's what he wrote, and it's really, really good. He says, a church is not a Fortune 500 company. It's not simply another nonprofit organization. Nor is it a social club. In fact, a healthy church is unlike any, organiza- any other organization that man has ever devised because man didn't devise it. There's, that thing's just rich. It's just loaded. See, see, the church is not a Fortune 500 company. Now, oh, wait now, wait now, wait now. Do understand this, though. Any church that's halfway smart will be run on sound business principles. You know, you've got to have some good financial principles, uh, uh, you know, the law and all that. You've got to have good business principles. So that's it. But, but we're not a Fortune 500 company. And, and any church, you know, you know, we may not be a, 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 any other, you know, nonprofit organization. But, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Just like a nonprofit learns to give away and not keep, any church with half a brain would tell you this. We need to be about giving away and not keeping. We're not to hoard. We're to give away. We are not to be a, a warehouse. We are to be a channel for which God's blessings throws out into the world out there. So, so no, we're not another prof, uh, nonprofit, but we should certainly be about giving away. Um, nor are we a social club. Oh, but wait, but wait. I can't tell you how important fellowship is. We have got to get together and just fellowship together. But we're not just another social club. And like I say, like he said... Hey, a healthy church is like any organization that man has ever devised because God, excuse me, man didn't devise it. God did. You know, man didn't develop it. Man didn't design it. Okay? God did. You know, there was a series that came out on PBS not too long ago entitled um, National Parks, America's Great Idea. You know, and it was, and it was. And then Ford, what, years ago now? You know, they had the light bulb thing, and Ford has a better idea. Okay, well, the local church and the church, of course, the body of Christ, but the local church was one of God's great ideas. Do you see? And the reason why is this, because the task is great and we can get a lot more done together than we can apart. 
You know, I, I could, and I did, I packed several shoe boxes, okay? And, and I could take that shoe box and I could take it down to the post office and pay about $60 per box and have it shipped to Africa. And some little boy or girl would get that box and say, oh, thank you for the presents. But because of organizations like Samaritan's Purse, you know, we can come together as a church. And like Wednesday night, we packed 100 shoe boxes. And this morning, our kids packed 50 shoe boxes. And there ain't no telling how many you guys are going to pack. And those boxes are going down to Vienna, and then they're going to Atlanta. Uh, most likely Atlanta could be up near Chicago, okay? They're going there, and they're going around the world, and some little boy or girl is going to get that box, and some pastor is going to speak in their native language and going to speak about Jesus Christ to them, and then they're going to they're receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're going to be discipled uh, in Jesus Christ, and nine people per box are going to be impacted by that box. That's incredible. And you know why it happens? Because we come together. Oh, by the way, oops, just remember, you don't think Satan doesn't know that? You want to know why he wants to make sure that every church, every church, every church has dissension? Because he knows if he pulls us apart, we won't be as strong. How about that? How about that? So we're going to look today at the church in its finest hour. Okay, and of course it's found in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41 it starts. Now you know the story. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on about 120 people and they immediately go out there and they go into this crowd of people. It's a big festival in Jerusalem and there are thousands. Somebody say thousands. Yeah, there are thousands of people there, okay? And all of a sudden they start, these men start speaking, okay? And they're speaking in a language that they don't know but the other people do. So like German to Germans and Italian to Italians, you know, as an example, okay? So all of a sudden these people are going, wait a minute. We're hearing this new truth in a language that we can understand. How amazing is that? Well, then Peter jumps up and Peter starts preaching and he preaches this incredible message. And then we're going to see that something happened. Look at verse number uh, 41 in Acts chapter 2. So those, so those, the people there, thousands of people, so those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 people. Somebody say, wow. Yeah, about 3,000 people were added to them. Holy moly. Isn't that incredible? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we have a big, strapping baby church. 3,000. Thousand people. Now, now that is one. It's a miracle. Three thousand people added that day to God's family to the local church there in Jerusalem. Three thousand people. But it's also a recipe for a mess. It's a re- come on. Let's just be honest. You got three thousand people. You know, you get six Baptists in a room. They can't agree. Imagine three thousand brand new. I don't know exactly all about this people who all of a sudden are together. They speak different languages. They come from a different social background. Their culture is different. They've really got so little in common, exception of one thing. Well, actually, two things. One, they were Jewish. And two, they just believed in Jesus. And it could have been a mess, but instead, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. So let's look at our teaching point. So just like, just like that, just like the, the culture was crazy right for an explosion of Jesus Christ, the culture was right. I want to tell you something. The world is heading toward a tipping point. 
The world is head. You, I know I'm just a small town Baptist preacher, but I'm going to tell you something. This is right. The world is heading to a tipping point. There's a lot of people out there in the world who are going to try everything in hopes of getting something and get nothing, and they're going to look to God. You mark it down. There are people who are investing uh, their lives in toys and boats and houses and trucks and cars, and all of a sudden they're going to realize, wait a minute, this isn't working. This isn't working. There are people who are, are taking all kinds of different drugs and all alcohol and all those different things. Their addictions, their addictions are going to fail them, and they're going to say, wait a minute, this isn't working. There are people who, this crazy gender mess, this ginger mess, and they're trying anything, looking for something and getting nothing. And one day, one day, they're going to reach a tipping point and they're going to realize, wait a minute, this isn't working either. And they're going to come looking and what they're going to be looking for is God. And they'll be looking for God in his church and his church has got to be ready. His church has got to be ready. We, listen, that's why we've got to make sure we come together and we stay together because there's come a time when that door is going to open and an addict, a gender-confused person, a, a person who's bankrupt, is going to, spiritually and physically, comes through those doors and we've got to be ready to receive them. And you, you need to know that. You need to know that. Because the way we receive them will be how their chances of being saved are gauged. If they come here and are judged, if they come here and look down upon, they'll walk out. Not, they may not only walk out of this church, they may walk out of church. See, I knew it. I knew it. It wasn't even worth trying. We have got to be ready to share the great story. So, so in Acts chapter 2, 42, okay, the Bible says, so these, all these people get saved, okay? They, the culture has reached a tipping point, and all these people get saved. They've been looking for the Messiah, even though the guy who was the Messiah got, you know, crucified, and then he gets resurrected on the third day. That'll get your attention. And so, so here they were. They reached this tipping point, and they, and they trust Jesus. And look what it says. Verse 42. They devoted themselves. They, so you remember just, was it last week we talked about if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny himself, let him deny himself? Well, these guys denied themselves, okay? And they devoted themselves. Well, what did they devote themselves to? Well, of course, Jesus. But what did they devote themselves to? We have four things that the early church did that we need to be doing, okay? Number one, number one. One, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we can't devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, but we can devote ourselves to the Word of God. We can make sure that whoever stands on this stage, you know, unapologetically preaches the Word of God. The pulpit is for the Word of God, and we need to make sure the pulpit is being used every Sunday to teach the Word of God. So we should be marked by our teaching of Jesus Christ. Then it says, uh, to the fellowship. Now, this is kind of unusual. You know, good, leave it to the Greek to confuse you, okay? Um, the, the word fellowship there actually means, at its core, unity. They devote... Now, watch, 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 watch. Are you watching? They devoted themselves to unity. They made unity a priority. Now, keep in mind, they had known each other, hardly no law. They had come from different countries. They spoke different languages. They were socially different. They were culturally different. They're all mixed up. 
But they devoted. They devoted. They said, we are going to make it a point. We are going to walk in unity. And the church needs to do that. Oh, come on. we we got lots of things we disagree on. We're still divided about should you put sugar on grits or salt and pepper. I mean, come on. Okay? But we got to understand, we can't let the things of the world divide us. we got to devote ourselves to unity. Then he says, to the breaking of bread. And this is, yes, this is fellowship. I don't, don't ask me why they didn't do it. All I'm telling you is in the Greek, it means fellowship. So they devoted themselves to being together and liking being together. Okay? So they devoted themselves to fellowship and they devoted themselves to prayer. And here's what's cool. They didn't, their prayers were more than heal Aunt Sally. And that's a fine prayer. That's a fine prayer. But their prayer life was marked by the newness of the church. Trust me, it was. So, so here's the deal. What was our teaching point say? Okay, all right. In spite of, okay, in spite of their diversity, okay, um, boy, were they diverse? Absolutely. And in spite of their immaturity, they were brand new Christians. I just can't, I just can't, I'm sitting here and it's just slapping me in the face. We got 3,000 people who like totally are brand new Christians and totally from, you know, total diversity, okay? And they come together and they did it because they were marked by learning, unity, fellowship, and prayer. So our Better Business Bureau says, hey, church, if you want to be successful in this century, Guess what hasn't changed? That truth. We need to center on the word of God. We need to be unified in our purpose. We need to enjoy the fellowship of other believers. And we need to pray. And we've got to make sure we get beyond praying just for health needs to the lost man out there on the street. We've got to make sure that when we are praying, we are praying for hurting lost people in this world. Because there are a lot. And we need to be praying that they, we need to pray that they'll come to our church. God, bring them here. God will... With your grace, we'll do the very best we can to love on them. We don't care how many piercings and how many tattoos. We don't care how they're dressed. God, help us, God, to love them. And by your grace, we will do exactly that. God, please. You know, you know it's great. It's great. You know, uh, Rick Warren said this. You know, listen to this. You know, he created the church. He created. Remember the four things, learning, unity, fellowship, and prayer. He created the church to meet your five deepest needs. This is why you need the church. A purpose to live for. People to live with. Principles to live by. A profession to live out. And power to live on. There is no other place on earth where you will find all five of these benefits in one place. These are exciting. Listen, these are exciting. These are exciting days to be a part of the church. Now, Satan knows that, so he's going to mess with us. Okay? He knows that, so he's going to mess with us. But these are exciting days to be a part of the church. Well, verse 43. So the Bible says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, we don't have, we don't have all the signs and wonders that the apostles were doing. But the cool part is, we still have the most important. And the most important is when people trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Look at our teaching point. The greatest wonder of all. The greatest wonder... Don't undersell this. The greatest wonder of all is the saving power of Christ. It's not our style of worship. It's not the style of the preacher who happens to be preaching. 
The greatest wonder of all is the saving power of Christ. Listen, 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 listen. Heaven explodes. Heaven explodes. Woo, I like that. Heaven explodes in joy over one lost soul who is redeemed. That is so good. And you say, well, Dwayne, you got a verse for that? Of course. Luke 15, 7. It's the story of the sheep. And here's what Jesus says. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need righteousness. So, so repentance. So, so my question is this. My question is this. So, so what makes heaven explode in, in joy? When people get saved. What should make the church explode? When people get saved, if I'm even half right and there is a tipping point coming and people are going in desperation are going to seek out and turn God, we may have the privilege of not seeing five, not seeing ten, not seeing twenty, but multitudes of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready for that to happen. See, we've got to choose what we explode over. We can choose to explode when people get saved, or we can explode over masks and politics and division. Well, he said, she said. You've got to choose what you're going to explode on. But I want to tell you what God wants you to explode over. He wants you to explode over people trusting Jesus. Because whatever, whatever makes heaven explode is what will make us explode. That just makes common sense. Well, verse 44 and 45, well, the Bible says, now, now all the believers were together, were together and held all things common. In other words, again, they realized, just like we talked about the shoeboxes, they realized, okay, that they were stronger together. One is good, two is good, three is even better. We call it cooperative program. When, when we come together as a group, you know, over the years, we have been a leading church in the offerings that we have given um, to missions like Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, and all those, World Hunger, okay? Now, that, yeah, we had some generous people who gave good gifts, but you know what made it happen? Your $5, your $10, your $30, your $100. That's what made it happen. The cooperative spirit, those coming together. And that's what the church did. They, they all worked together and they held all things in common. In fact, in fact, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. I'm telling you, boy, Satan knows this. We are better together. Don't be pulled aside. Don't be lured aside. He knows, Satan knows, we are better together, and he's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid because he knows the power of the unity of the church of Jesus Christ when we come together. They all had together. They had all these things together. They sold the possessions and did it all. So that's our teaching point. We need to be a church. We need to be a church of servants and not consumers. We've come to church not to get but to give. We need to come to church not to be served, but to serve. We need to be a church that gives and gives and gives. In 2005, I believe it is, my son-in-law started a church in Murray, Kentucky. They are celebrating their 16th 
anniversary. Here's the amazing part. They are now just building their first building. For 16 years, they've met at Murray University, either in the Kerr Center or whatever the other one is. And they have seen growth from about 20 people to pre-COVID 700 people. And, and in December, they're going to get the keys finally to their building. But for, listen, for 845 weeks, hundreds, well, let's go 150 people met and set up. Starting at 5 o'clock in the morning, they would show up. They had to set up their small group area for the children. They had to set up all the electronics commitment, equipment. They had to do all of that. And they didn't do it for, for five weeks or ten weeks or two years. They did it for 16 years. And you know what? They've already got a plan. Those volunteers aren't done. They're going to keep right on serving. Hey, it's not as big. But y'all, some of y'all remember, for seven years, you set these chairs up. For seven years, teams of eight to 15 people would show up at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning and turn this into a worship center. And then we all work together to tear it down in the end. We have a history, a good history. We have a history. So we need to be, continue to be a church of servants and not consumers. Look what Rick Warren says. Servants think of ministry as an opportunity, not an obligation. Lord, help us to be that kind of church. They enjoy helping people, meeting needs, and doing ministry. That was a hallmark of the early church. They didn't know better. They just did it. And I think we kind of stumbled into it also. We are a church that, in the community that's known in the community as a people's church. If you need help, go to Dorsville. They'll help you. And that happens over the years because it became our heart. We don't want to lose that heart. COVID messed with our heart. Well, COVID's enough in the rearview mirror. We need to get our heart back. Because a serving church is a happy church. A serving church is with minimal dissension in the church. Well, verse number 46. The Bible says, Every day, every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They didn't have to. It wasn't a tradition. It wasn't said, well, we always done this. There was no, we always done this. They just liked the getting together. They would show up at the temple and there was no rule and they'd just show up and they'd pray and probably teach some of the Old Testament scriptures. You know, they just did that. And, and then, then, and then if that wasn't enough, then they went and broke bread from house to house. And yes, that is the Lord's Supper, but it's also just people getting together. They must have been Baptists. They sure ate a lot. They sure ate a lot. But every day, they devoted themselves to this. Listen to what Francis Schaeffer said. Our relate, and this is really good, by the way. Our relationship with each other is the criteria the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful, is valid, is authentic. That is so good. Now, would you trust me for a moment? If I'm right and the culture is heading to a tipping point where people are going to be so empty and so frustrated and they're going to be looking for something and that something might well be Jesus Christ, okay, the criteria, this is good, the criteria that they'll determine whether they walk through that door or not is Christian community. It's us being on the same page. It's us loving God and loving people. Now, I love what he says. 
Christian community is the final apologetic. It's that valid statement that says, we are real. I mean, you know, people come to church, good people come to church, but, but for, for a group of diverse people to get together and love one another in unity, that's extra-worldly. You, that, you don't find that at Walmart. It's extra-worldly. And they're going to use that to validate who we are. So finally, verse 46. They, so I told you they ate a lot. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Had to be fried chicken and mashed potatoes. But watch this. Watch this. This is a shocker. Praising God. Hang on. And enjoying the favor of how many people? All the people. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. I don't understand. The guys that crucified Jesus were still around. They hated Jesus. They hated Jesus before they killed him, and they really hated him after he resurrected. They hated his followers. And now, all of a sudden, there's an outbreak of Jesus' followers that numbers somewhere around 3,000 people. All right? So the culture is rotten for Christianity. And what happens? The church found favor with all the people. They said, I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But man, you can't argue with it. You can't. And that's what we want. We got to quit whining about the culture and culture this and culture that and culture this and culture that. And realize this. If we do business right... They say, I don't like that church. I don't like those people. But how do you argue with what they're doing? How do you argue with how they feed people? How are you going to argue with how they pay people's electric bills? How, how do you argue with the fact that they give away shoes and school supplies? How do you argue with this? I may not like them. I may not want to be around them. But I, can't, I, I just can't argue with them. It can happen again. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It can happen again. But we have got to be ready for that. One more Mark quote. Mark Dever. He says this. This is good too. Christmas, Christmas, Christian proclamation might make the gospel audible. And we need to do that from here. We need to verbally speak the gospel. And there are, there are, yes, you need to be verbal in your presentation of the gospel in your lives, in your lives. But Christians living together in local congregations make the gospel visible. They hear it, but when they see us doing God's business, God's way here, it is the gospel visible. And they says it straight out. The church is the gospel made visible. Visible. Wow. Wow. That's who we want to be. Not just who we should be. It's who we want to be. Now, it would help right now if Jesus would speak up. Jesus, is he telling... Is, he, is this guy right? Hey, Jesus, is Wayne right today? Is he talking the truth? Mark 13. Mark 13. 
34, Jesus says, uh, pre-church, pre-crucifixion, I give you a new command. Love one another. Well, how? Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. There it is. Love God, love people. There it is. You're, you're not impressed, are you? Well, I'll give you verse number, I'll give you verse 35 then. By this, by what? The way we love one another. By this, everyone, how many? Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not if your skirt's long enough, not if you don't have any piercings, not if you have any tattoos, not if, not if, not if, not if. No, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's it. That's it. Plain and simple. If we want to win this world, if we want to be ready when the world reaches that tipping point, we have got to be in love with Jesus. We got to be in love with each other and we got to love them. That's it. It's that, it's that simple. Thank you, Ezra. It's that simple. We just got to decide if that's what we want or not. We just got to decide if that's what we want. Lots of churches have decided that's not what they want. They wouldn't be coddled and cared for. They want their way or the highway. You know, I will say this. I've been with you for 21 years. And I honestly believe we didn't get it perfect. We got plenty of warts. But I think Dorisville was a church that mostly said, not my way, your way, Jesus. I don't know how else you can explain the, the giving toward missions, not just the giving, the giving toward missions, the way people show up to work at back to school or Sunday in the park. I, I, it's the only way I can explain it. It's that we chose over the years. But now here's the deal. I can say we're wounded from... From, from COVID, we got to get our hearts back together. We just got to. We got to determine that the church that was before is going to be church now and better. Because there are things we need to learn. There are lessons we need to learn from that. We got to be, we got to be ready. One final quote. Well, let's do 47B. Throw it up there. You know, every day, every day the Lord added to their number who was being saved. It's hard to resist when the church is done right. It's hard to resist when the church is done right. Now that final quote, Eli. It's a good one. Drawn to the light. Hashtag drawn to the light. You know, evangelism was not a program in the early Jerusalem church. It was a way of life. The believers' lives and behaviors, get that? The believers' lives and behaviors created such favor with the population of Jerusalem that people were drawn to the Lord. Wow. And that's, listen, a new program won't do it. If I could convince every one of you to share the gospel one time this week, boy, that'd be cool, but I'm not sure that's going to do it either. Not in this culture. Not in this culture. What's going to happen is when our lives and behaviors are filled with the word of God and unity and fellowship and love and prayer. When our lives are filled with, with behaviors and lives are filled with that, we will find such favor with the community that they are drawn to Jesus. Like, like flies to a light at night, they are drawn to Jesus. I think somehow I missed this. I didn't mean to, but I did. Way or, I don't remember saying this. Way early on in the message, I had written in your notes. I said, 
we won't have to fish. They'll jump in the boat. People will flood those doors if we're ready and want to know about this Jesus. And we'll do authentic worship and we'll preach the word authentically and we'll love on them and they will be saved. Would you bow your heads right there where you are, please? Wow, thanks so much for listening today. I guess it all boils down to, so do we want to be this Acts 2 church? It's costly. I mean, you have to swallow pride and forgive when you don't want to forgive and love when you don't want to love. Um, You have to do that kind of stuff. But if we will, they'll come. (laughs) What the filter dreams, you know, build it and they'll come. Yeah, if we'll be Acts 2, they'll come. Someone's going to happen outside doors. Not everything's going to happen in here. Something's going to happen outside doors. But if we'll be like Christ, they will come and they will be saved according to his sovereign will. They'll be saved. So if you hear that, I know it's one of those messages and it's kind of rare. I didn't go to the cross today. This was for us. This is for us. But if you're here today and you're already on empty and you're here going... I need something, Dwayne. If you'll come down, I'll be glad to share with you what you're looking for. And his name is Jesus. It's not Baptist. It's not religion. It's not church. It's Jesus. I'll be glad to share with you. If you're here today and you already know Jesus is your Savior, that's awesome. chunk of us already do. Maybe most of us. But what about today? Would you make the commitment to be Acts 2? Will you make the commitment to devote yourself to the Word of God? To devote yourself to unity? Devote yourself to fellowship. Devote yourself to prayer. God, I want to be ready when they come. Lord, I thank you for the high privilege of sharing this truth today. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to work through this crowd. David said in first service how you draw people to each service, which means every person here is by divine appointment. Now, Lord, help us to respond to that. We trust you with this, and you are trustworthy. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen.